Welcome to the Renew the Arts podcast, where we discuss the role of art and creativity in the church and in the world. We're your hosts, Justice Stout and Michael Minkoff. Our mission at Renew the Arts is to liberate Christian creativity. At renewthearts.org, you can see what we're working on and see how you can get involved in the creative revival that is currently happening in the church. So it's been said that Sunday worship is the most segregated hour of the week, and this is not just a race issue. Age, music preference, even theological differences seem to divide the church, even though this diversity could bring a lot to the table. So where do you see yourself in this? Are you seeking unity or just uniformity? And how does art play into this for the church? This is the Renew the Arts podcast with Unified Does Not Mean Uniform. So today we have a special guest, our first guest. First guest ever of the podcast. Ever of the podcast. And it is Joe Good, His Royal Majesty, Joe Good. The illustrious. The illustrious Imperial Majesty, Joe Good. Because you're an illustrator. Illustrious. Illustrious. I like that. Illustrative. I just just thought of that. Wow, that was great. That's awesome. Um, Anyway. I can go home now. Uh, (laughs) And that's it. (laughs) Joe is a really fantastic visual artist. He's done a number of things for different churches for many, many, many years, and has also, he has Valor Design LLC, which is your company that does website design, graphic design, illustration, other types of work. He works in a lot of different media. He works in a lot of different styles. He's sort of like a jack-of-all-trades, master-of-all-trades kind of dude, and uh, has really been uh, doing a lot of work in the arts for a really long period of time. So, he in the arts in the church in the specifically, church specifically yes which is really going important to be pretty voice. important for this for yeah, sure this discussion thanks justice well i'm just saying <laughs> arts in general but also arts in the church which is a very difficult place to be yeah so we're going to have a little discussion with him after uh this first discussion um but he called us up and he said hey i've been thinking a whole lot about diversity in the church and the difference between unity and uniformity in the church, and I'd like to have a conversation about it. And we're like, that's a really great podcast idea. We should do that. Mm -hmm. And so he's here today with us, and we're going to have a little conversation about the difference between unity and uniformity in the church and how to cultivate diversity in the church really through the arts, and um, or at least in them. And so... How did this get placed on your heart, this issue of diversity, particularly in, in the church and maybe through you know, artistic expression? Yeah, that, <clears throat> this is something that uh, for a few years I've been struggling with but wasn't able to put my thumb on. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and it, it just comes from uh, years of going to churches or um, you know, different environments that are Christian we seem to be divided up when we get together. So and I know this happens a lot in different churches and for various reasons, but you go on a Sunday morning and the first thing that happens when you get there is your family goes off in five different directions. And so mm-hmm. I don't see my kids for a couple of hours. I don't see my wife for maybe an hour or two. And, um, and so I was thinking, how what, what can we do maybe to get us back together a little bit? And yet... I've seen it's more of a struggle to try to actually do that because of the the setup sometimes um, just doesn't really allow for it. And so I decided to go work with uh, my son in the middle school so I could see him and work with them in the middle school uh, band. And uh, I taught 
adult Sunday school for a while so I could see my wife and we would have some fellowship there. Um, but uh, I, I think what has been in the back of my mind just sort of rattling around and um, is how do we a- approach church and how do we approach fellowship or how do we approach Christianity and how am I approaching it? Am I, in, in, in my, Am I helping things or am I hindering things? And I can, I think I can kind of see from Scripture, the theme from the very beginning was unity, that you uh, had different cultures, you had different races, so to speak, you had different people from different backgrounds or religions that all of a sudden were brought together in the cross, that reconciliation between different peoples uh, was a huge part of the gospel. So it wasn't just reconciliation between God and man, which, you know, is first and foremost, but it seems that the theme throughout accompanying that, a vital part of that, is reconciliation that goes horizontal, it goes between all peoples, all mm-hmm. different age groups, whatever. And so um, on Sunday mornings, I was hoping that that would be a place where we would see that in action. You'd see it reflected. Yeah. Yeah, you'd yeah. see that actually happening on earth. Yeah, so that it would speak to people. I think it would say something, and especially in a world today where every time we turn on the TV or listen to the radio or whatever, it's always about diversity in some aspect mm-hmm. um, to celebrate differences, to celebrate variety. Um, but then in a way, it's it's almost saying... But you've got to go to different camps to do that. You've got to travel across, you know, the plains of this desert to get way over here to join this camp. But when you get there, they're all the same. Even though on the other side, they're, they're totally different. You know, let's all celebrate that and allow that. But you, once you get there, you have to fit into their group mm-hmm. before you can even get in. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I see that in our culture so much. And I think our culture has really seeped over into... Our church, because we are a part of the culture. Regardless, we go out every day, every week, and so we're we're a part of the culture, and we carry that into um, our churches and our and our our Christian lives. Um, and so I, I, I've just been struggling with: Am I trying to find things that unify, or things that create uniformity? And um, I'm hoping that. You know, if there's something I can do or something I can draw or something I could say or I don't know, um, I want to be able to help us realize um, maybe we're trying to be more uniform and in, in how we do things rather than trying to unify. Right. So let's talk a little bit about that distinction because some people might wonder, well, what exactly do you mean by the difference between unity and uniformity? Um, the analogy that I was thinking that made sense to me was the difference between harmony and unison in music. So it's not uniformity is when everybody is singing the exact same thing at the same time, and it works together because everybody's singing the exact same thing. Mm-hmm. Harmony, obviously, you have different parts, but they're written to work together and they complement one another so that the overall sound is full. Nobody's singing exactly the same part, but all the parts work together. And that seems to be more the image in the living stones of the temple of, of Christ that are being formed together to yeah. work together yeah. in order to make a living building, a living temple. And that was supposed to be the idea for the church, not that 
all the stones would be squared off and exactly the same, but that each would contribute in its way. Paul talks about you have some who are hands, some who are eyes, some who are feet, and you know. What can one do without the other? And, exactly. And the hand can't spite the the eyes or. Right, and none of them can survive outside the body. Mm-hmm. You cut off the hand, and that is immediately a dead hand. Like that, it it can't survive without that connection to the rest of the body, and so. Clearly, there is this necessity not only for the differences that are occurring there, like the differences between a hand and an eye, but also that they be joined together. Like you can't have, because of those differences, a, uh, a discord. Or the church itself becomes a dismembered body. It becomes a dead body. And, mm-hmm. and I think to a large extent, especially in the eyes of the world, that is what the church has become mm-hmm. to the, in the eyes of the world. Yeah, especially it seems to be a particular problem in Protestantism. Yeah. Um, and I mean, that's, that is almost, almost uh, stating the obvious because even saying it, Protestantism, you're protesting, <laughs> right. you know what I mean? So it's literally, it's always a separation from, and, um, so that has kind of just snowballed. Uh, the last stat I heard was that there are 44,000 Protestant denominations. Yeah. Without having the ability to be in the same church with, I think, particularly theological differences, uh, disagreements, the resolution is not to learn from one another, but rather, oh, I got to start a new church. Mm. And like, you see that all the time. I mean, church splits and all this strife among churches. And if you disagree, like you got to start a new church. Or if it's really good, just start a new denomination. Right. Like, which actually happens a ton. I mean, you, right. you, you get to 44,000 by doing that. Yeah. And we can talk about a little uh, the historical explanation uh, for that, because I think it's really important. Because I don't think it's just the issue of protest, although that is there, obviously, just that the spirit of those people tended to be a spirit that was willing to separate to if need and be. separate, yeah. Um, but after that, you know, and this is something that's not usually talked about, but Luther, for all his spleen was he desired unity. Mm -hmm. Like he actually did desire to see at least the Protestant denominations unify. And in a lot of ways, he wanted to stay unified to the Roman Catholic Church. Um, And uh, Zwingli was open to the unity, at least of the Protestant denominations. Calvin, open, Bootser, open. I mean, like all these guys, like a lot of the big names in the original Reformation um, were all very much like, they they call them Irenic, meaning they, they sought peace. They wanted to be unified, but they couldn't. They couldn't do it. Like they tried multiple times, mm-hmm. and and they never managed to, to to pull it together. And you wonder, okay, well, why? Why didn't they? And then you have to wonder, well, what was it that was keeping the Catholic Church together? And certainly, there were huge, vast differences of opinion within the Roman Catholic Church, and still are. Like if you go to different parish churches and you talk to different priests, you're going to get a different idea of what Catholicism really stands for at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, there's a unifying umbrella underneath the Holy See of the Vatican City or whatever, but even that allows for a great deal of diversity from region to region, even in terms of the way that they're expressing their liturgy and other things like that. Um, so, so they were able to sort of have a somewhat flexible idea, but most of the unity was established in the unity with the church. So like you were a member of the Roman Catholic Church in good standing. That was your unity with all the other members. But when the Protestants broke away, what's the base of unity? I mean, you can't say that our base of unity is that we're not part of that mm-hmm. anymore. Um, they said that their base of unity was in the truth of the scriptures, 
we are those who profess the truth of the scriptures. I mean, you look at Calvin's idea of what makes a true church, and it's first and foremost, the sound teaching and preaching of the word of God. And already you're looking at that and the proper administration of the sacraments, and the boots are added church discipline. But um, <laughs> you know, but but the but the main one was this idea of unity in the truth. Mm-hmm. That's what we want to be unified in. But there's obviously a really major problem with that because that's very hard. It's to hard do. to nail down. <laughs> yeah. Because I mean, even in this room right here, just the three of us, we all have very different opinions on the scriptures. Uh, we all have perspectives on particular passages or on theological issues or on doctrinal issues. And we don't necessarily agree with one another in the sense of we don't have a uniformity in that. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, so ha- if your unity is in Scripture, it's like, okay, well, what take on Scripture? Exactly. Not to say that Scripture doesn't say one thing. No. But these are humans reading it. And well, so no. you have at least 44,000 different organized exactly. ways to read organized it. Organized ways to read it. And it's really just a matter of, you know, and all the reformers said, what is fundamental? And different of them had different ideas of what was fundamental. Obviously, we have different ideas of what is fundamental. I mean, something could something as as simple as just like the color of the carpet can become fundamental if if that's what you choose to divide over. Right. That, what it does is it creates a necessity for an intellectual unity. I mean, if you talk to the average Christian in the United States and you were to say, "Do you believe like this is like the Apostles' Creed, or the Athanasian Creed, or the Nicene Creed, or the major creeds mm-hmm. uh, of th- that establish some?" pretty major doctrinal issues, almost like almost 100% of these 44,000 denominations. So it's not a matter of actually rallying around the scripture on the essential issues. It's a strange rallying around. And that's why I think a lot of it is a protest mindset because it's like, well, we might agree on 90% of the things, but it's those 10% that will make me start my own church across town. Um, because you can have a, like ninety percent line up uh, intellectually slash scripturally, but that's ideologically. Not, it's still not the base of our unity. See, that's the thing is is that ultimately it can't be the base of our unity. So the question is, what is another foundation for unity? Basically, right? Or yeah. is that where we're headed? Yeah. So let's like talk. Let's talk to Joe. I want to ask Joe two questions. The first is, what do you think is a better base for unity than than merely intellectual unity? And secondly, after you get done with that, can you tell us a little bit about what you think is hindering the church from actually grasping that unity or getting at that unity? Okay. Well, I look at Ephesians 2. Um, Paul is uh, talking to you know, a diverse group. And, you know, in verse uh, 11, he says, Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called the uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate uh, from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants and the promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now... In Christ, you who were formerly far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace who made both groups into one. He broke down the barrier of the dividing wall, abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself 
he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. So, I, I mean, it seems, I mean, here's the Sunday school answer. It's just, it's Christ. Jesus. <laughs> Jesus. In, in the cross, you know. His that, blood. Yeah. But, but I think what we've I think what we miss sometimes when we're looking at that is we we tend to look at it through just the lens of my individual self and God. That what Jesus did on the cross is he died for me. So that I could have a personal relationship. To be alone with, him. with me. Right, so right. Yeah. Don't, my, my, don't. my own personal Jesus. So it, it <laughs> right. it's so we look at it so vertically. We look at it just so individually. But I think over and over Paul points this out. Even Jesus, when he was, you know, talking on the Sermon on the Mount, he was talking about, um, you know, if if your brother has something against you, you know, and you're at the altar, and he says, lay down your 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 sacrifice or whatever, and get up and go first, mm-hmm. and create peace with your brother, you know. Or he was talking about in the, in the what we call the Lord's Prayer, you know, uh, we we want to when we're when we're praying, we want to want God to forgive us just as we forgive others. And so it's like you can't separate the two. And I think what even Paul is saying here is that the reconciliation that we have with God is not just individual and it's not just personal, but there is an aspect of it going horizontally to all people and all different groups that how we treat each other, how we perceive each other, how we love each other is fundamental even to our relationship with God, mm-hmm. that you cannot get out of it. So you can't just say, well, I love God, but I don't, don't get along with these yeah. guys. Yeah. Right. Doesn't I can't matter stand what... the church. Right. right. So, I mean, but ultimately what God is saying is, you know, I don't agree with you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't agree with you individually, personally, but I'm going to love you and give my life for you. And in order for you to understand that, you need to have that same attitude towards everybody else mm-hmm. that you are going even though you might disagree even though you might not like even though you might not even want to love you're still willing to do the hard work of being able to give up your comfort give up your your desires give up mm-hmm. your pride whatever to show love and unity despite the diversity <clears throat> so the foundation is Christ for for diversity and, and for, particularly and for within unity. the church, the spirit of Christ, yeah, which is in us and with us. And well, that's what us. I was, yeah, that it like yeah. now it becomes a praxis issue. Like, right. okay, you make a good point, Michael. Like, definitely it's the spirit in us that's going to enable us. So, definitely, I think you know, that's take, it. Take that down. Well, I don't know if I'm satisfied <laughs> with that answer. Like, obviously, that is the Protestants it, but... work, but <laughs> that's been the problem. You know what? This uh, podcast, I'm starting a new podcast. <laughs> Everybody that's subscribed to this podcast, I'm announcing a new, it's the Justice Out podcast. Come meet me down, down the street. I'm starting a new <laughs> podcast. Well, what do, you, what do you think in the church is actually hindering the, the, that foundation of Christ and the spirit of Christ in the church from actually operating and creating the unity that should be there? I mean, there's so many, I think, factors that go into it. But I go back again to, I go back to what Jesus said when he was asked this, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus doesn't answer just 
with one simple thing. He said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And he said, but the second is like it. He said it's equal to it. He said you can't escape it. You can't have one without the other to love your neighbor as you love yourself, to love others as you love yourself. And I think that 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 is the spirit there, that, that attitude, that mindset, that heart that you carry into, you know, not just the when you go to church and when you're around people in a fellowship, it's when you go into life. And I think if everybody works on that, you know, realistically, that that unity can can start to blossom because... Why don't they, though? That's the question. I mean, if they're actually unified to Christ, if they actually have the Spirit of God, why isn't this already happening? Yeah, and... and, and why is it such an issue? Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Why is it such a major issue in the church? Yeah, and I mean, again, Sunday school answer, it's sin. (laughs) (laughs) You said you teach a Sunday school, right? I do, so I I get the Sunday school answer, but um, sometimes that, I mean, it's it's right. It doesn't, yeah, just because it's a Sunday school answer doesn't mean it's not true, but it's certainly more complicated. It is. And that's the, or or at least more, um, there's more to it. But I think a lot of times, though, it's just we don't, we don't think about those things. We're not challenged to think that way. And to I think, think what way? To, to think about, um, well, we just, we need to practice getting out of our comfort zone. Right. And I think, especially in the Western world, the dominant influence is commercialism, you know, mm-hmm. is, is capitalism. It is, you know, we, we want what we want, and we want to have it now. And the consumer's always right. Right. So whatever he yeah, wants. And the customer's always right. Yeah, mm-hmm. so yeah. So I'm going to consumer church, and so we live in an incredible time where you have such a variety of churches. Um, you can go out and church hop and find what fits you. So, But I think it's we, – we, but we do it unknowingly. I think we do it just because that's what we do every day. Mm-hmm. That's just the culture. We seek the, our own. Yeah, that's just what we do. And so we take that into the church. And I, I just don't think we've ever been challenged so to you not think, think that way. There has to be a concerted, self-conscious effort made on the part of people in order to overcome this because their natural inclination will be to birds of the feather flock together, yeah. find commonality, find common ground. That's how they're going to naturally yeah. operate. Yeah. But let me ask you, because that raises an issue. Cause you know, I mean, and we're going to get into hairy territory here, um, but I'm, I'm okay with that. But the, <laughs> the issue of even racial diversity in the church, I don't think the solution is to try to court people who just happen to have a different color skin than you do. Mm-hmm. I was talking about this with my brother, actually, and their church was having this conversation, kind of, you know, talking about diversity, and it's like, well, first of all, like, one of the problems, you know, we're all white. Mm-hmm. So like we gotta get, gotta get some black people in here, and yeah, kind of courting them and and it's one I don't know I don't know if it's diversity to think like we'll bring them into our church. Well, here that, that's the thing. Let <laughs> you me tell you a I mean? story. Okay, let me ahead. tell you the story. So there's been a lot of these racial reconciliation uh, groups or conferences for different pastors to come together, and there was one recently. Uh, another professor of mine went to. 
And he was there, and there were a bunch of uh, white, you know, suburban, middle-class, upper-class pastors there, and some some black pastors from some inner-city churches that they didn't have a lot of resources available to them. And so the, the white guys were surrounded and being like, what can we do to serve you? What can we do to help you? And all this kind of stuff, and just really trying to be sacrificial in the way that they were dealing with these black pastors. Uh, at the end of the conference, one bold black pastor uh, said to the white pastors when they were having like this sort of Q&A kind of time, he said, you know, you guys offered a lot of help, but there's one thing that you never did. You never asked us how we could help you. Hmm. You never, You never asked for our help. And see... I'm looking at that situation and I'm like, that is, that is, that it's a, that's a damning criticism. Like that's a really powerful criticism because here's the thing. Real diversity is not putting up with differences. It's not saying, oh, I'm, I'm willing to just put up with how different you are, mm-hmm. but it's actually learning to submit yourself to another person's set of values. Mm-hmm. And it's a very different thing. To be like, yeah, because the solution there isn't to not offer your help. No, because it's not. that's a difficult place yeah, yeah, yeah. to put the, even though it's a correct criticism. But it is to see them. Is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. It is to see them and say these guys are in poor churches in inner city doing faithful work in the midst of extreme resistance. Mm-hmm. I bet you they have prayer lives, faith lives, uh, everyday work lives, stories other things that like they have available to them that we that we have no access to. Mm-hmm. And let's ask them, will you pray for us? Yeah, yeah. Will you come and preach to our churches? Will you bring your stories into our churches? Will you tell our people mm-hmm. how things are really going in your church? Can you how can how can how can you actually get us to the point where we have the kind of faith Mm-hmm. and faithfulness that you have, that we're willing to make the kind of sacrifices that you make, how do we become like that? And so it's basically humility, which yeah. is yeah. like kind of the, maybe not even Sunday school answer, but like the idea of like, well, it's sin. And the solution is to like submit yourself, submit yourself one to another. Mm-hmm. I mean, talk yeah. about a action call for diversity. I mean, it's right there. Right. Submit yourselves therefore one to another. Right. So and that does take a lot of humility. It does. it does take a lot of humility because I do think a lot of yeah, a lot of the diversity, a lot of the pushes for diversity is like how can we get them to join us and, yeah, and do our thing at and it's our church. Not even really valuing them a lot of times. It's more how can their our appearance of diversity get them add in. value <laughs> to our brand or our do identity. Do you want to mention the sign? The what? The welcome sign. Oh my! Oh you don't my have to. Um, yeah, sure. Make it fast. Okay. There's, there's. We were just at this conference. Here, I'll do it fast, okay. and I'll let you jump in whenever yeah. I don't understand things. There, we went to this conference. It was a, it was a fine conference. We had a really good time. It was at this church, and the church had in its lobby a welcome sign. It was a, it was like a band of metal in a circle hanging from the ceiling, and it had been. Um, like laser cut mm-hmm. words, the word welcome, but in also all in all the different languages. So it said welcome, and in I'm going to show my ignorance because I don't know like welcome any other, but you know, yeah. all these different um, languages, their word for welcome. 
And we're talking about this issue of diversity. We're actually sitting at this conference talking about diversity because the conference, it didn't seem very diverse in its attendance. And we're in anyway, we're, we just happen to be discussing this amongst among ourselves. And we look up and we see this sign. And Michael, who's taken Mandarin, he says, do you see that? And I'm not even close to being able to pick out anything wrong with this. Yeah, so the, the font that they chose for uh, the, the Mandarin for the Chinese characters, it didn't have one of the characters available, so it had the square with an X through it for the first character of, of oh, no. Welcome Chinese. And no one had noticed it, and it actually had got it was printed on the thing. So like it was up there, etched it, in metal, it, 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 the square with the X, X through, through it, it, like not available. Like, yeah. Character oh, not Mandarin. available. Totally, yeah. that's Mandarin. Just but oh. no, I, I'm sure the situation was that nobody there actually spoke Mandarin that sure. looked at the sign. No one spoke Chinese, so they they but and they didn't not, even and, pay attention. They were just like we're just trying to be diverse in appearance, but yeah. it was like a perfect like representation. They didn't do graphic design either, because right. if you knew graphic design, <laughs> yeah. you know anything, it's like you're yeah, you're looking that, for those problems, <laughs> right? But. Exactly. You can say you're welcoming in different languages, but are you are you how committed are you to figuring at that out yeah. and and knowing what you're doing knowing what you're saying and or just say we're english we speak english we don't know any other languages yeah. but we'd love to learn right. we'd still right. love to be here and right. and and learn from you and learn about your culture because we know nothing yeah. instead of like hey look welcome in all these different like because we're diverse we're really yeah, yeah, diverse yeah. but it's like you're not really diverse yeah you just want to look diverse there's a big difference between those two things yeah as an artist in the church like what do you how do you think that the arts in particular because this is an arts podcast, so let's get on top. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but as, you know, <laughs> how, do you, <laughs> how do you think that arts in particular could contribute to this push for diversity? Maybe I should use an art history story. I don't know if that would help. Yeah, yeah that sounds great. Yeah. But if you go back into the 1870s and you've got this group of uh, new ideas, this group of guys with new ideas and, and ways of painting getting together saying, we really see something else going on and we want to be able to uh, broaden the horizons of everybody. And so you have guys like Morisot and you've got um, Monet and Manet and um, uh, uh, Renoir. I mean, they get together and they're like, we want to be able to paint with this idea of Impressionism. And they wanted to get their works out there. And so the way that they that things worked back then was that in order for you to get known and for your movement, whatever, to, to make any headway, is you would have to get approved by the salon. Mm -hmm. and, you, and your artwork would be critiqued, and, and then it would be uh, presented if it was accepted and placed on the wall. And if you go into the salon, there's this huge wall in... And you, know, you want your work to be at eye level. That was the goal because right. they were saying what you've done, you know, matches the artistic um, uh, perfection that we're looking for that everybody should see and notice. And so uh, you can, so you would submit your artwork and, and it would, if it got put on the wall, it'd be great. If it was at eye level, that was even better. But, you know, yours could be at the top of the ceiling, which is like 20 or 30 feet high, mm -hmm. and nobody would be able to see it. And it's like, well, at least I got on the wall. But 
it didn't really make a bit, much of a difference. And so in a way, it was it was it, it was a hindrance to actually get your stuff put up high. And then there was another room completely. It was almost like the trash room. It was like, well, you're in the building, but you're in this other room, so it's secondary. And it was even more. Um, it, it was even more hurtful to have your stuff put in there, but but these guys, um, the impressionists, kept submitting their work, and they kept thinking, "This is the way we've got to do it." Mm-hmm. There's one way to get our art known, to be accepted, to um, uh, to to get it out there, and so they kept submitting it, and they kept either getting rejected or their stuff was put in the back room, or whatever. But it got to a point where some were like, "You know what?" We don't need to keep going this way. We don't we we don't need to keep putting up with uh, submitting our stuff to to the salon. What if we just took a step outside of this, rented our own space, and did our own show, and just see just see what happens? It actually turned the world upside down. So ever since then, you know, the birth of modern art. You know, we've experienced. Um, I think an incredible flood of of talent and ideas has come from that, um, and so I think even it's, it's a story for today that we have within Christianity, within the culture, within the church, a sort of system set up, and we unwilling or unwittingly kind of go along with it because we trust those who are in charge, we trust those who teach us and who lead us. And we go along with that system, and we think, oh, they know what's best. Mm-hmm. And so when it comes to music, when it comes to visual art, when it comes to performance art, whatever, what these guys say goes. And I think for the past 200 years, what, what's been going is it needs to fit inside this little box that really just promotes the gospel. And that when we get together on Sunday mornings, the main feature just needs to be about the preaching, and everything else is just decoration around it. Mm-hmm. And... Yet, I think when we go back to the scripture and we go back to the first church, and, and just looking at, you know, God has made people in his own image that it's not just about one facet of artistic expression. I mean, speech can be artistic expression, but it's not just about one facet. I think there is, there is, there is something that we are missing out on by not exploring all of the variety of abilities and capabilities that God has implanted in us. And because he is a creative God, I think we need to be able to be just as creative, I mean, mm-hmm. explode in, in creativity to to be able to show that. And so, you know, there is that little system that's going on now. And I think right now it, it's going to take another impressionistic type of movement just to step out and say, all right, we're not going to sit in this system and wait for our song to make it on the radio or get picked up by this person or, you know, we're not going to wait around until our art becomes a commercial success. Mm-hmm. We're, I think we just need to take uh, a step out on faith, so to speak, and, and just start creating art. And I, I think another part of, another huge part of this, maybe this would be another topic for another time, maybe this <laughs> We uh, is people don't understand what art is. Mm-hmm. People in general don't, especially people in the church. Um, or what its purpose is, what its role is. Yeah, or even how you know how do how do you define art? Mm-hmm. You know, and I think we know what art is when we see it or hear it or experience it, but we don't know how to say, oh, oh yeah, this is what art is. And so I, you know, I, I'm online um, 
I get a lot of, uh, I'm on DeviantArt and I'm posting stuff there. I get a lot of questions coming in from people looking at my stuff. And a lot of these times, these are just kids, teenagers saying, hey, I really like what you're doing. How do you get to where you are? How do you do this? What can, do you think I could do this or this? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, whatever you want to do. I mean, I, I think vocation is a huge aspect of the Christian life mm-hmm. and that it's, you know, to be a Christian doesn't mean you have to be either a preacher or a missionary or, you know, a, a minister. You know, there's so many other things that we can be doing that we should be doing because mm-hmm. God has called us to multiple vocations and to be artistic is one of those things. And, and, and art is huge. It's a huge thing. Mm-hmm. And even the Bible itself is, is the greatest piece of art there is. And inside of it is so much art. And so I, you know, I think being able to understand what art is and then being able to take that next step and getting out there and trying stuff and, and just, you know, taking trying a, stuff. Yeah, just that sounds scary. <laughs> yeah. There's not a lot of control there. Yeah, There's not there. a lot of comfort there. See, the two <laughs> things you talked about on the side of the leadership is this idea of control. And on the part of the you'd say, okay, so why are the all the congregants okay with this kind of iron control that's going on? In terms of to use your analogy, the salon requirements where everything has to fit in within this particular uh, mold or it's not allowed on the wall, basically. Um why are the why is the congregation okay with that? And I think you touched on that too, which is that it's comfortable. Yeah, it's what they've known, and it doesn't. You know, there's there's no sense in which they have to take risks mm-hmm. or act courageously. I mean, honestly, like talking to a stranger takes courage. Uh, interacting with a stranger takes a, a, an amount of courage. I'm not saying it's a great amount of courage, but if you have a fearful uh, church. You're going to have congregants that seek comfort and pastors who seek control. But if you have a faith-filled church, you're going to disrupt that. And I think that's one of the major reasons we are so positive about the arts. Because I think that the arts, because they're so open-ended, they tend to undermine uh, control in a really good way. Yeah. Um, Where... And, 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 and what we don't realize is oftentimes what happens with these codified systems of control is they almost always get co-opted by wickedness. Mm-hmm. Like it's very, very, very rarely the case that great power does not become corrupt. I mean, there's like, it's like the, the classic, you know, Lord Acton, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. I mean, mm-hmm. that's just the nature of, of mankind. The great thing about art... And investing in the arts, especially in the church, for me, when it comes to this, is that it does take humility. It takes humility to present art to another person because it's a persuasive mechanism. It's not a mechanism of control, unless it's propaganda, which, right. you know, unless it's manipulative, which is not good art. Mm-hmm. But good art really does leave itself to a large extent in the hands of the viewer, of the receptor, meaning you know, what invest you in me, yeah. invest in me, give your time to me, but it's just a persuasive mechanism. If you don't, if you're not persuaded, mm-hmm. like it doesn't require anything beyond that of you. Yeah. And that's why I think, um, like you were talking about man is created in God's image and, and God is a, is a creative being. If you do, if you open up a more 
fully human interaction with the gospel, then you're going to start to... Uh, it, it makes sense that there's a lot of segregation with the gospel that has a lot of tight boxes and a lot of really easy um, boxes to check and, and you know lists to follow. But whenever you start interacting with the real human um, and like the grittiness of the Bible and the just really honesty and the honest elements of Scripture and how God really is working with us in reality, you're going to start having a much more um, um, tactile understanding and approach and even... Incarnated? Exactly. Incarnated understanding of Scripture instead of just a mental, intellectual boxes to check. If you start having to explain the gospel in song or in a visual piece, all of a sudden you're that's a lot more difficult in a good way because it's exploring a more rounded understanding of the gospel instead of just like platonic ideals yeah. or it'll know. reach different parts of the same person and, and it, it will, will also, reach different people. Exactly, <laughs> yeah. because yeah. we are all made in the image of God. This is right. kind of the whole idea. If you reach the whole person, then other people who are all made in the image of God will we'll, be reached in ways that perhaps you didn't know would reach them. Right. And I think that that's why any healthy religion, even a false religion, like if it's doing well, it's going to have a fantastic art culture. Right. Any yeah. movement, even political, you just mentioned propaganda, any movement that is not dying has excellent art. And that says something terrifying about the church today. Mm bottom line what we're talking about is that we do have the holy spirit and jesus in common if we're christians yeah and you don't need anything other than that in order to be at peace with other people and, and uh, if you do if you do you should start thinking about that. <laughs> you should probably cut <laughs> you should reconsider probably some yeah things. yeah look in the mirror and, and consider yeah who am i <laughs> uh well joe thanks so much for coming on the pod- podcast yeah, with uh, us Thanks for having me. I I know we've gone really long, but I, I really appreciate it. I, I I don't know if I've said anything really important, but it's, it's been. A I think good... you have. I think yeah. you have, and it'd be great to have you back on. I know you have a ton of stories about working for churches that um, we haven't been able to really touch on, and that is something like our mission at Renew the Arts is to liberate Christian creativity. So this really hits at the core of what we're trying to accomplish, which is finding artists in the churches, artists in you know Christian communities, and really uh, helping churches understand how to help them and liberate them to do what they're really called to make, what they're actually called and equipped to make. Because at that point, they're going to bring the greatest value anyway. Like it's at that point when they're equipped to do what they're really called to, that they're actually going to turn around and serve their congregation to their highest capacity. And that is not happening right now. Maybe it's not in the situation. most controlled way. Maybe not in the most You're comforting way. You're going to have to lose way, control. But- you're going to have really to lose powerful. some control. Yeah. <laughs> that's where God moves. And that's what happens a lot of times in Scripture. Whenever the church has kind of just gotten pretty stagnant, you have these left-wing prophets that come out of, well, not left-wing, uh, left field, excuse me. <laughs> really liberal. <laughs> Marxist these, prophets. <laughs> these left-field prophets who come in out of nowhere and um, oftentimes uh, in, a, in really creative ways uh, have a bit of a, Bit of a shakedown, yeah. So anyway, uh, we got to wrap it up. I did want to finish this episode on a song by Brock's Folly, which was a band I was in um, early on in the uh, 
makings of the band, uh, we were playing music together and stuff, but there were a lot of disagreements between the songwriters. We had three songwriters in the same band. Me, Jesse Murray, Luke Lillard. And um, they wrote this one song. I disagreed with basically the whole thing. And so it created <laughs> this tension. I was like, man, I don't know if I can keep writing songs with you guys. Like, I don't know about this. So Jesse was like, well, what would it take for us to continue? Like, what would we have to agree on in order to keep making music? This is a real question. Like, we were talking about this. Huh. And um, we finally decided, well, uh, I guess it's the creeds. I guess it's the creeds. And so we agreed on that. Not the band Creed. <laughs> it's no. it's okay. Creed the band. <laughs> if we agree with Creed, we can continue making music. Otherwise, <laughs> right so, out. Yeah, so the Nicene Creed, we put it to music. And uh, we're going to go ahead and roll tape on that. And so we were able to have diversity within the band in spite of disagreements because of our coming together around this. So we thought that it would be appropriate. Awesome. All right. Thanks again for coming. Thank you. Yeah. Do we shake hands now? Yeah, <laughs> thank you very much. Is this recorded? Maker of the sea Created everything Man has seen And has not seen And we believe in the Son of Man Only begotten Son of God Of whom they prophesied down from David's line Jesus Christ And he was sent for the sake of men Born of Mary the Virgin Sent from the Godhead To a stable bed To judge the quick and dead We believe he was crucified Under a Hebrew written sign The Roman alibi But also you and I He drank the bitter wine And we believe that he rose again in accordance with the prophet's pen And this we must proclaim O Jerusalem 
lest our faith be vain. We believe in the Holy Ghost, Lord and Giver of life, through whom they prophesy of the coming Christ. He's to be feared and glorified. Church we recognize